if you had five minutes before your house exploded, what would you grab? I'd get my dog. My kids and husband, of course. And if I had an extra minute or two, I would grab the rocks that I gathered on the beach the day that my dad died and the 120-ish year old Christmas cactus that my great-grandmother brought over from Norway. I would lament the loss of plants and pictures and memories, but I would have all I truly needed, the people who make my life whole. When it comes right down to it, not much of what we have is essential to us, though we rarely live like it. This morning's readings are all in lockstep to remind us of one thing. People are more important than things. The Amos reading depicts the wealthiest folk of the time who lounged on their ivory beds. I really hope that there was some sort of cushion over their ivory, right? That sounds really uncomfortable. <laughs> Ouch. There's got to have been lots of cushions on there. But they lounged on these ivory beds full of cushions, and they drank wine straight from the bottle while strumming ditties on their guitar. And what sounds like a lovely afternoon is not what Amos was critiquing. The problem, he says, is that they were doing this while ignoring the neediest among them. In like manner, Paul's letter to Timothy exhorts the listeners to use their wealth for good and to not allow what they own to own them. He didn't mince words when he said the love of money is the root of all evil. But the most chilling example of the folly of valuing things more than people comes in our gospel, in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. I, everything about this scripture sort of makes you squirm. Huh? The talk about the open sores, like all of it's just like, ugh. The rich man um, was, by all accounts, a successful guy, and he enjoyed it. And he didn't go out of his way to be cruel to Lazarus, who sat at the gates and suffered. It doesn't say that he was like mean to him or would yell at him when he came by or call the cops on him or anything like that. This rich man, he was simply going about his life. He worked hard. He deserved to enjoy what he had earned. He had a family who he loved and who shared his, and he shared his success with them. He may have even felt like a periodic pang of guilt for the poor guy that lay at his gates, the one who uh, only dogs took pity on, licking his sores and keeping him warm in the cold desert nights. Jesus told the story from the vantage point of the afterlife so that the religious authorities would see the seriousness of refusing care. See, the, the, the religious authorities wouldn't have been moved by the fact that it, it mattered, that this, this man mattered. They wouldn't have been compelled by the thought that he was worthy of care in this lifetime. So Jesus had to kind of pull this, this trump card of the afterlife. Jesus had Sarah and Abraham, pillars of the faith, telling the rich man that he had been given his chance to care for others, and it failed, while Lazarus, forgotten and ignored, now enjoyed comfort and care. In the first century Middle East, 
it was assumed that if someone was rich and healthy, that they were a good person. You didn't receive blessings unless you deserved it, according to their way of looking at the world. So in their mind, this rich man, he was a good guy. In like manner, in their, in their idea about the way that the world worked, if you were sick, if you were poor, then you must not be a good person. You must have some evil in you. So it was sort of understandable then. Okay, so this guy, Lazarus, he must be a bad guy, you know? Like, he's got all these sores all over his body. There must be something wrong with him. But Jesus challenged this notion, and he took the comfort and self-righteousness out of ignoring the needs of others. To make it even, even harder to fathom, Jesus was not saying that we need to value those that we love more than money. We can do that, right? When I asked you earlier what you would grab with five minutes, I'm sure all of you thought of your loved ones, right? And maybe your animals or something. Like, that's, that's sort of a no-brainer. It would take a monster to choose cash or, or gold or something like that over their kids if their house was going to explode in five minutes. But in this story, Jesus is telling us that we need to value all people over our wealth. That a stranger begging at the gate of our gated community or our nation is more important than our dinner party with friends or our family Christmas celebration or our vacation fund. That is some uncomfortable truth. Then and now. The scriptures were clear this morning. It's, it doesn't say that, that it's evil to be rich. Not at all. They say that it is evil to value riches over people. I once had a parishioner who was very paranoid about banks. She had lived through the Great Depression, so it was a legitimate fear, and she did not trust her savings to a bank. So she had cash all over her house and property. Unfortunately, she got dementia before she shared that information with her family about where exactly she had stashed all of this money, which they believed was tens and tens of thousands of dollars. They didn't have an exact number, but um, they had, she had cash all over her five acres. And after she died, as the family cleaned their home, they were finding jars of money all over her house. Like, of course, since she lived through the Great Depression, she had jars of, of old buttons, right? Because you just save everything. And they would find like thousands of dollars in a jar behind a bunch of old buttons. And they would find others like with newspapers and all over the place. And they ended up having to go around the property with a um, metal detector trying to find <laughs> these jars of money in this wooded property in Cedra Woolley. As it turned out, she kept her money very, very safe. <laughs> After hiding it, though, it didn't do much good as the worms eat it now. I think many of us feel that if we start to acknowledge scriptures like this and acknowledge that all people are more important than wealth and that, that we need to live like that, we start to get afraid because we think that we'll have to give everything away. And I think that, that that fear often keeps us 
from living in God's love. As Martin Luther said, however, you cannot feed all the beggars in the world, but you can feed the one at your gate. Chances are God is not going to ask you to leave this place and write a check in the sum of your entire bank accounts and all of of everything that you own and give it away to the first person you see. But in like manner, we are called as followers of Christ to see everyone as valuable. This will have many varied outcomes as there are many varied folk here. We are all different in our resources, in the place that that we have, in the context that we are, the places where we work, the families that we live in, the neighborhoods that we live. Each of us gets to walk in this world, treating others as valuable. I think it's interesting to reflect on the fact that God did not create poverty. People did when we started getting the idea that possessions and resources should be hoarded and that having extra is more important than others having what they need. God did not destroy the environment. We did that. And we continue to do it by resisting making changes that that are necessary to heal this wound. But we resist it because of our greed. God did not create homelessness. People did. When we started claiming that we could own the land that God created and that we could shut others out with gates, and HOA rules, and city ordinances. We are called this morning to work to heal this world with God's love and power and mercy. And we can only do that if we acknowledge the gift of grace that we have already received. As Lutherans, we are so blessed to know that God's got us. That God's love and grace and salvation and hope and love and joy always come down. We are rich. And so we can live in a way that fights poverty. That acts boldly against the dangers of climate change. That votes for city council people and local government officials that will make decisions that will favor the homeless in our cities and counties. And so much more. What are you called to do? You might feel the call to bake cookies for the single mom who lives next door to you. Or maybe slip some cash into her mail slot. Or you might feel called to make a large donation to an environmental agency or spend your Saturdays cleaning up local waterways You may feel called to sponsor a child in a third world country or take a foster child here in Skagit County. You might give your garden's bumper crop to a local food bank or spend your day delivering meals on wheels or simply giving a latte and a smile to the homeless person that you pass three times a day outside of your office. I don't know what you, beloved child of God, are called to do with your belovedness. 
but I know it's going to be amazing. And that the goal will be the love of God and neighbor over personal gain. And that as you step forward in this faith, you will find yourself richer than you could imagine. Living in community, caring for each other, rich in love, tenderness, and joy. Rich in the kingdom of God. Enjoying life that is life. The life that God intended for us to live. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, We Come to, hu- to the Hungry Feast.